Ladies, I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, Gabby. There's been a number of things happening recently in the realm of true crime. We posted one of the things to our, our Facebook. We did. About uh, uh, trying to identify one of Gary Ridgway's victims. And in fact, I might be bringing Gary Ridgway to the podcast at some point in the near future. Bring your serial killer to work day? Bring your serial killer to work day. I, I don't always like to cover cases that are that recent, although at this point... Um, Everybody he was, knows. Well, and he was killing in the 80s, so like... The term recent is kind of losing its steam, but uh, I do like the local cases and I do feel like it's it's relevant. So we'll, we'll probably be taking a look at him in the near future. But just today and we're recording this on Tuesday, April 13th. So by the time this releases, a week will have gone by. We might have new information. But just today, this is uh, fairly significant. They made an arrest today. Two arrests, in fact, in the case of uh, the disappearance of Kristen Smart. Yes, I heard about that. Yeah, I got a breaking news about it. And this is pretty significant because she disappeared back in 1996. And wasn't it the reason that they, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that they found the people to arrest was through, was it a podcast? So there actually is a podcast called Your Own Backyard. I'm not super familiar with it, but apparently a lot of people are. They have a ton of followers. I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with it. But they focus uh, on a multi-part documentary series mm. having to do specifically with Kristen Smart. Um, and that's down in Cal Poly. Uh, I think that that's in San Luis Obispo. Sure. But yeah, so that's really awesome that... You know. Well, it's it's again. I I it it brings me a little hope anytime we have any kind of cold case, but particularly a case that's been cold for about twenty five years, uh, and there is any kind of breakthrough. Now, they never found a body in this case. She was a, a college student who disappeared. Um, she was legally declared dead back in two thousand two, and and let's face it, is is most likely dead was most likely murdered but part of the hope is not just justice for her if they've arrested people who who ultimately responsible but possibly maybe finally finding a body would be wonderful and and bring some closure to her family so uh that was something that just just developed today uh there might be more details by the time this episode is released but it's it's worth kind of putting out there into the world so i thought it was of note and worth mentioning yes i love when we have updates I feel like we should have like murder updates, <laughs> spooky updates. It's it's I, I again I, I I really ever since the Golden State Killer was apprehended, uh, oh yeah, I like I got super emotional that day. Um, oh, me too, for sure. I it just it, it it gives me hope when some of these old cold cases get some traction and get some resolution. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a good thing and it's a good day and it, it gives me hope for, we look at a lot of old cases. We look at a lot of, some of them are cold cases. Some of them have, have uh, convictions, but I don't know. It's, it's nice to know there still might be some resolution, even though a lot of years go by. Yeah, I mean, especially with the Golden State Killer, the fact that they used DNA to find him, yes. like that, and the technology that we mm-hmm. have now that didn't exist back when all this was happening, and the fact that it was used to find him, just, and Michelle McNamara, like, all of uh, that. If you guys don't know about this story, you're missing out and sleeping under a rock. So <laughs> look up Golden read, State Killer. Well, I say, read Michelle McNamara's yeah. book. Uh, I'll be if gone you haven't dark. read it, read it. It is It is utterly fantastic, and it's... I love true crime books that are not just about a crime and killer, but are also it's it's her story as much as it as it is about this case. Um, and she tragically passed away before finishing the book. Yeah, 
uh, anyway, we've gone a little bit of tangent. Tangent. That's but, okay. That's I okay. mean, hey, early creepy critics corner, but mm-hmm. uh, I'll be gone in the dark by Michelle McNamara. So good. And, and the, also HBO did yeah. a, a series, a docu-series on it as well. Highly emotional. I definitely cried. Uh, it was, I think I might've talked about it on this podcast when it first came I, out. I feel like you I might feel have. Like yeah. I did. Yeah. It's fantastic. Wonderful. It's Absolutely really wonderful. beautifully done. And Patton Oswalt was uh, her husband. And so him. he actually wrote the, I think the, ep- oh, not the epilogue. That's after somebody dies. Or is well, that he, after a book? He contributed in the book. Uh, I think he wrote the foreword, but he also was involved in the um, the docuseries. Oh, I was thinking eulogy. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I meant epilogue. I said epilogue. Mm-hmm. Thought I said eulogy. Mm-hmm. There's a little blooper that's included in the episode for you of me confusing E words. Both having to do with the end of something. Yes, that, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> So it's kind of funny talking about cold cases. It it both does and doesn't relate to the case today we're going to be talking about. Oh, really? It, yes. There is a tiny, tiny part of me that feels mildly bad. Uh, I am once again talking about what one would call a local case. Wait, the cold, cold, dead heart feels bad? It's brief. Enjoy it while it lasts. It's going to go away real quick. <laughs> My heart is cold and dead. Uh, we've, been, we've been doing a lot of international stuff lately. Our, our last couple have been pretty strictly international. We've um, gone the distance for you. We've we're gone, bringing you back home. Bringing you back home. Specifically bringing you back home to my roots, the Pacific Northwest. This is an interesting case, though, because there was an arrest. There was a conviction. There are some who who question if the right person was arrested. Uh, and I, I'm actually kind of curious, Gabby, once I talk about this, whether or not you feel like the right person was arrested. Ooh, murder mystery. Murder mystery-ish. I, I, mystery-ish. Well, I don't want to give away my own thoughts too far in advance, but... Is that going to be a hashtag, murder mystery-ish? I think it should be. I like that. I, I think like we that. should. And before we dive in, everyone, I do want to give a quick warning. Um, there is some talk, it's non-graphic, but there is some talk about suicide as well as sexual assault. So we wanted to throw out there that those are two things that are going to play into our topic tonight. So if that's something you want to stay away from, then, then, then maybe fast forward through this, this episode, but this is a little quick trigger warning just in case. I need to throw out my usual disclaimer. Uh, this is a historical case. It, it took place in 1926 when researching yep there were some things that were conflicting facts that didn't really line up things that were misreported i i do my best when i am reading to uh take what i think is to be true if it's the fact that's reported the most uh or just seems the most logical but just you know bear in mind anytime there might be some discrepancies if you look into the case yourself that is what happens when you are looking at history true story True story, nonfiction. All right, let's let's get to this, shall we? We shall. It was about seven twenty a.m. on June seventeenth of nineteen twenty-six, almost a hundred years ago. My God, that's dang. terrifying, right? Thank you. Yeah, dang. <laughs> uh, two workmen, J. L. Reynolds and O. B. Ripley good names, were starting their day walking on the north shore of Green Lake in Seattle, Washington. And for for you non-locals out there, uh, Green Lake and Green Lake Park, they're really popular places to go and, and walk around. There's a really nice path that goes all the way along the lake. It's about a three mile long walk. Um, it's really pretty. It's it's really popular in the springtime and the summer. It can get packed. Oh it's, yeah, lots of dogs. Lots of dogs and ducks. Yeah, dogs and ducks. Dogs I like and to ducks. go look at other people's dogs and wish they were mine. I like to look for turtles. They have lots Ooh, of turtles, turtles on the lake, and I love turtles. And there was actually in the eighties, I was reading about somebody released some caimans. And they caught a couple, like, caimans in there because there was reports of red glowing eyes at night. And it turns out that the people... Yeah, no, it wasn't ghosts or demons. It was, like, some pe- some assholes put their pet caimans in the lake. And they're not built to survive that kind of weather. So, anyway. Um, it's now in, they're the ghosts of the lake. They're the ghosts. It's it's northern Seattle. So, it's, it's like, six miles from downtown. 
So these two workmen, they're walking. They see something odd. They notice a woman's suede slipper. That's, that's kind of weird. So they, they decided to investigate, and what they found was a trail of blood. Rot row. Yeah. Leading to the body of a 22-year-old woman. The body of Sylvia Gaines. Now, Sylvia was born in Natick, Massachusetts in 1904. She grew up in Linfield, Massachusetts. When she was about five, her parents separated. They later divorced. Her father moved to Washington State. He was entirely absent from her life. In fact, he wasn't even sure where she was. He lost track of her because, you know, I guess then it's not like you could hop on Facebook and find somebody. The internet was not a thing yet, guys. Internet, not a thing. Neither were cell phones. Neither was, I mean, phones were, but not quite the same way. He never came back to visit, and she never came to visit him. It was kind of coincidental that they got reunited. She graduated from high school in 1921, attended Smith College, which that's a great school. Good for her. She graduated in 1925. She wanted to reconnect with her father. She tracked him down. His name was Wallace Gaines, although he went by Bob. What? Everyone called him Bob. Bob. Hashtag everyone's name is Bob. Everyone's name is Bob. This is a shout out to our friend Bob. Congratulations. He just had a baby. He did. And the baby is so stinking cute. And yes, all the congratulations in the world. Anyway. Anyway. Everyone's named Bob. Everyone's named Bob. Uh, So she came to Seattle to stay with him. He had remarried, second wife named Elizabeth, and and wanted to kind of reconnect with him. Sylvia was described as being beautiful and intelligent. She had a very promising future ahead of her. She had also just recently been hired at the King County Title Trust Company. So, like, she had her whole world ahead of her. Her body was found near shore. The evidence. 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 Showed the killer had tried to strangle her initially, but was unsuccessful. And, and she didn't go easily. She fought. Her jaw was broken, probably from being punched in the face, although oh, it's no. possible it was also from a, a blunt object. She tried to flee. She dove into the water to swim away. The killer followed her. Her white felt hat was found still in the water. And she ultimately was hit in the head with a blunt object while in the water. They suspected it was a a, uh, jagged rock that was found nearby covered in blood. Her face, it was described as one newspaper, as being mashed to a pulp from being hit. Yeah. What was interesting, though, so she had dirt on the heel of her right shoe. And this led the police to believe Her body had been moved after she died. It had been dragged. So she was killed in the water, but then taken out of the water. And her clothing had been ripped from her body, suggesting possibly sexual assault. Oh, no. A later examination of the body, though, revealed there was no sexual assault. Oh, well, that's good. It's good, but but somebody worked really, really hard to make it look like that was the purpose of the attack. Which then makes you think that that was not the purpose of the attack. And it also brings into question, why would you want to make an attack look random or look like it was motivated by, by a sexual assault when it wasn't? Because there was another reason. <laughs> Those are brilliant, brilliant deductions, Gabby. <laughs> Your powers of deduction astound me. I'll be here all night. Yeah. <laughs> now, this initially rang bells, though, because, you know, girl looks like she's been sexually assaulted. There had actually been a string of sexual assaults in the city, one in the university district, which is only a couple miles away, one in First Hill, which <laughs> is where I live. It's right off of downtown Seattle. So it was natural for people to think that maybe these were connected. Um, Her ex-boyfriend was questioned, but nothing really came of it. Anyone who was deemed a suspicious character was brought in. (laughs) This is a 
Seattle in the 1920s, though. That doesn't narrow it down. There's a lot of suspicious characters here in the 1920s. I mean, um, there are a lot now, too, so to yeah, be fair. to be fair. <laughs> but I really want you to understand what a big freaking deal this was. Like, when I was doing the research, all of the major newspapers, Seattle PI, Seattle Times, front page news, multiple stories, just... There was a whole recreation in cartoon form. Wow. Yeah, it was it was intense. This was a really, really big deal when it happened. And police were also left with the unfortunate task of having to tell her father, Bob, that his daughter had died. So sad. Very sad. That's not anything any parent is ever like, yay. No, I hope not. At least not. I hope not. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but he had to identify the body as well. So he had come down to the police station to report that she was missing because he was staying with her. And while there was informed that she had died. And uh, I, I have to appreciate the very dramatic recount from a newspaper, which was. The identification was made several hours after the body was found by her invalid father, who collapsed at the coroner's morgue. The girl was slain last night, apparently by a fiend, while taking a walk in a park on the shore of the lake. A fiend, you say? Oh, the word fiend is used so often. I I think it was a thing then. Like, they were attacked by a fiend. They were killed by a fiend. Which, P.S., we need to bring back the word fiend. Yeah, it's like friend, but without the R. But without the R, and that makes all the difference in the world. Really massive difference. Really massive difference. Who knew an R could make that big of a difference? English um, man. English man. So uh, I don't know about the collapsing part, but her, her dad was not, as far as I could tell, like an invalid. Um, there were multiple references to him being, he was a World War I vet, right? Okay. So he was shell-shocked. Which is, is back in 1920s time is basically PTSD. Right. Yeah. So uh, this is before we really knew or understood what PTSD did. So uh, he was distraught, completely understandable. And, and so he worked with the police to try to establish a timeline of what happened on her last day. So his wife, Elizabeth Gaines, she was out of town. He met Sylvia downtown. Um, at the library on 4th Avenue, which is still there, P.S. Big honkin' glass library. It's very cool. They went home, had dinner, and after dinner, uh, she ironed her clothes. And Bob would later tell the Seattle P.I., I was watering our lawn when she left. It was about 8 o'clock. Some of our neighbors were on their porches at that time. That was the last I saw of her. It wasn't uncommon for her to take walks in the evening, so it wasn't like he, you know, was going to say, oh, don't go out. And it's June. I mean, Gabby, you know this. If if you're not local, this may not make sense, but June in Seattle. It's light out at 8 o'clock. It's light out at 8 o'clock. It's light out at 9 o'clock. We hit a point where it's just light out. <laughs> yeah, in July, it stays light until almost 10 o'clock. Almost 10 o'clock, Yeah. It's, it's, it's really bonkers. Uh, so our summers here are, are stunning. Shh, don't let that get around. But 8 o'clock in the evening in June, yeah, I'd feel perfectly safe walking around. So Bob went to his neighbors for about a half hour, and then he drove to his friend's house, and he would later say in the same interview, I rode to Lewis Stern's house at 39th and 2nd Avenue Northwest to keep a 9 o'clock appointment. I took Lewis and another couple downtown, returning home about 10.15. I was worried about not finding Sylvia. I called my brother's house, Bill Gaines, to see if she was there. She wasn't. From that moment on, I lived in hell. I jumped into my car and rode every street around Woodland Park where Sylvia had been accustomed to take her walks. It was useless. Long after daylight, without having had a wink of sleep, I rushed downtown intending to report to the police. So, this is all pretty normal, right? Sure. Yeah, this is where things start to take a turn, though. Because in this same interview with the Seattle PI, Bob would say, It was terrible. I loved my daughter more than anything on earth. I was affectionate to her. Why shouldn't I be? Wait, what? Yeah, it's a little weird. That's weird. That's creepy weird. That's, yeah, no. It's kind of a weird thing to say. When you look at that statement, you're like, Hmm. 
I'm sorry. What did you mean by that, my friend? <laughs> Clarification please, would be appreciated. Please be to clarify, because I'm slightly weirded out. So, so Bob, let's talk about Bob for a second. I mentioned he was a World War I veteran. Mm-hmm. He was the brother of William Gaines. And William Gaines was a little bit of a big deal in the city. He was a chairman of the King County Board of Commissioners and was looked at as, I mean, somebody who was maybe going to run for office. Um, the coroner was friends with Bob and, and thought, this is not a man who could have had anything to do with his daughter's death. Sure. Sure. Uh, not everybody was going to jump on board with that, though, because police kept questioning Bob and he was making some kind of weird statements. More of them? More of them, including alluding to the fact that he knew who the murderer was. What? He was also heavily intoxicated. Uh-oh. The deputy who took his statement talked about how it was almost impossible to get a coherent statement out of what he was saying. Because he kept repeating, somebody hit my kid on the bean with a rock. What? Yeah. Wait, does the bean mean a head? Yeah, bean is the head. So somebody, like if you've been beaned with something, somebody hit my kid on the bean with a rock. And then he started talking about Sylvia's cooking. He said, <laughs> I don't know why I have the urge to make a drunk voice while I say this. I'm trying Do to it. resist it. Do it. My Sylvia couldn't cook fast enough for a hungry tramp. And if that didn't make sense, what he said was, my Sylvia couldn't cook fast enough for a hungry tramp. Like, I don't even know what to do with that. Again, this guy was drunk. And neighbors are questioned, and they talked about how, like, they saw him drunk that night, and he seemed really distressed. Which I realized just saying, like, oh, he was drunk. You're kind of like, okay, Kim, who cares? Why should we care that he's drunk? Why should we? And, and I mean, he's worried about his daughter. Yeah. Maybe you'd, you'd have a drink. You're worried. Think again about the year. It's 1926. Oh. Yeah. What was happening? Gabby, what was happening in the 1920s in the United States? Prohibition. 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 You know, Bob. Mm. For those of you who have never heard the word prohibition before, that meant drinking. Well, not drinking. The sale of alcohol was illegal. So, he didn't really care. He kind of would drink whatever he could, whenever he could. And as reports started to come in, apparently was not the most awesome of awesome people when he was drunk. So this was all enough to kind of put Bob on the police's radar. Sure. He's being kind of a weirdo. He's being kind of a weirdo. And, and the more they're digging into, the more it became apparent that not just that Bob is acting kind of strange. The relationship between Bob and his daughter was maybe not right. Oh no. Yeah. We're going down that road. My folks, if you think you know what we're about to talk about, you are probably correct. So when Sylvia first arrived to stay with her father and his wife, she slept on the couch. They, they have a very small house. Their house was a one bedroom. However, a neighbor would report that while Elizabeth, Bob's wife, was away in California, Bob and Sylvia were sharing a bed. Yikes. Yeah. And Elizabeth apparently was fighting constantly with Bob about Sylvia and his relationship with Sylvia. And things weren't great at the house. In fact, Elizabeth Gaines tried to kill herself with a rifle in November of 1925. What? Yeah. And it would get linked, especially as suspicion started being put on Bob. It would be linked to the fact that her husband was maybe having an affair with his daughter. Yikes. An article that ran in the Seattle PI shortly after Sylvia's death made the claim that the suicide attempt was directly related to quarrels between the family about Sylvia and Bob's relationship with Sylvia. The doctor who treated her, Dr. Long, said that after Elizabeth Gaines made an attempt on her life, she said it was over an argument that Miss Sylvia had usurped her place in her husband's affection. Wow, that's a way to put it. 
usurped is an awesome word and underused. I'm just throwing that out there. It's under usurped. <laughs> that's not that's not how you use usurp. <laughs> so she later denied this. She said uh, her suicide attempt had to do with the fact that she was really struggling with her husband's drinking. And she, this is a quote, Bob drank too much and I made the mistake of trying to keep up with him. He was too much for me. And besides, I didn't believe that drinking in our household provided a proper atmosphere for his daughter. I frequently remonstrated with him, but to no avail. In a fit of desperation over his refusal to stop drinking, I tried to kill myself. That is the truth. That wasn't the only thing, though. Multiple witnesses talked about seeing them, and this is how it was described, as being romantic in public. In fact, the night clerk at the New Arctic Hotel, which is now the Arctic Club, and it is a really cool haunted hotel in downtown Seattle. If you've never been, I recommend it. It's awesome. The clerk later testified that Sylvia, Bob, and his wife, Elizabeth, all came into the hotel, but only Bob and Sylvia checked in for the night. They had two rooms, and yet when the maid came in, she saw both Bob and Sylvia in bed together. Ruh-roh. Yeah. Uh, Officer R.L. Davis would testify that a few months before Sylvia's murder, they had come across a car in Woodland Park, and the car had its lights off. And he would say, I was just a step or two from the car when I heard a scramble in the car. I stepped to the left side, and I saw a young lady in the left seat. She had her hand on the door. It was Bob and Sylvia. And in fact, he took them in to the precinct, and they had to prove Sylvia was Bob's daughter and that they weren't doing anything wrong. Gross. Or I mean, I don't know, you know, doing anything wrong? Air quotes. Air quotes. Gross. Um, his wife's sister recalled a time she'd stopped by the home with her husband, and when they knocked on the door, Bob, who was in his night clothes, had peered out the window, and they saw Sylvia wearing only a nightgown, moving the couch to make it appear as though she had slept there. How do they know that she was trying to move the couch to make it appear as though she slept there? I mean, and that was what the, the article talked about. I kind of envisioned it as like, I don't know, maybe moving some blankets to make it look like they were must. Mm, okay. But it, it didn't, it, to be fair, it, it didn't really specify. But like all of this, I find it so sad and frustrating and makes me feel awful for Sylvia. She's, she's a young woman. She's 22. She's reunited with her father, and, and this is going on. And looking at the days leading up to her death, there's evidence. 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 To support that she may have been rethinking her relationship with her father. Um, a, a couple reports saying she was thinking of moving back to Massachusetts, which I'm not sure if that's true. She was going to be visiting for Thanksgiving, but she had this great new job. But there were reports that she was planning to move in with her uncle. Now, the second option, moving in with her uncle, would be alarming to Bob. Because if she moved in with him, what might she say? That her dad was her boyfriend. Uh, Maybe. She might talk about why she wanted to move out of her father's house. So... Police, they are, are full court press. They are looking at Bob. And Sylvia's funeral is approaching. Um, the articles talked about that he was very stoic. He didn't shed a tear at the funeral, which, I like, I'm sorry. Um, we've talked about this before. I really hate that. Yeah. He may or may not have been guilty, but you can't judge how someone grieves. Like, I, I just think that's complete nerd BS. It's not fair. It is not fair to look at how somebody is dealing with their grief and say, you're not doing it in a way I find acceptable. Correct. Agreed. So I look at that and how that's used as a fact of his guilt, and I kind of flip it off with my middle finger. What else would you flip it off with? My big toe. Ooh. Yes. You heard me right. So, um, Bob is arrested on June 29th, uh, an inquest is held. He wept. He demanded an 
early trial, although he hadn't actually been charged at that point. (laughs) Days later, uh, he was charged. His murder trial began on August 2nd of 1926. Remember the days when our justice system was actually speedy? I actually don't, but it's nice. Nice to think about. Yeah. This is kind of cool, though. The jury had nine men and three women. That was a big deal. Three women? That's a thing. This is where a slightly different picture of what happened on the night leading up to Sylvia's death started to emerge. The night of her murder, Bob and Sylvia fought. And he would later freely admit to this. They had a fight. She went for a walk to cool down. According to Bob's testimony, after about a half hour, he went out looking for her. And when he couldn't find her, he went to his friend Louis Stern's house, like he had originally said. Now, Louis Stern became a major witness for the prosecution because he would testify that when Bob showed up, he was drunk and said a number of suspicious things. Lewis said Sylvia had been complaining about his drinking. And according to him, Bob said, and I quote, You know what I always told you? That if anyone in my house told me when I should come and go and when I should drink and how much, why I would kill him. Well, that's what happened. Oh, dang. Yeah. That's... Uh, I mean, I don't know how else to take that, right? That's basically just setting yourself up for failure is what that is. Setting yourself up for murder is what that is. And more than one witness placed him at Green Lake that night. Like some who saw him driving around the lake, others who saw him standing around the place where Sylvia's body was found. There was one boy, a caddy, his name was John Cooden. He testified he had seen a car that looked like Bob Gaines's car. He said, quote, I went down to the shore of the Green Lake about 730 and had been playing an hour or more when I sliced the ball and went to look for it. I guess it was about 845 o'clock, which P.S. I love that he said 845 o'clock. Very specific. Very specific. My attention was drawn to an old car, low hung, parked by the roadway. So. Prosecutors are producing their own timeline, and what they were showing the jury is that after Bob and Sylvia argued, Sylvia left, and Bob followed her. Oh, no, that's bad news bears. Because here's the thing. The evidence. 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 It suggested she knew her attacker. She wasn't fleeing from them initially. and. The fact that it was masked as a sexual assault, because again, the coroner's report showed no actual sexual assault. That means that's not the reason, right? Well, it means it's not the reason, but again, there's only so many reasons you try to make something look like a random attack. And that is if you are trying to hide the fact that you know the victim. Yeah. So the newspapers are suggesting, you know, oh, it was a fiend because of the sexual assault, because it was a random attack. But if you were trying to make it look like the perpetrator was somebody who picked it as a, a crime of opportunity and not somebody who knew her, that's a great way to try to divert attention, right? Or attempt to, at least. Or attempt to. It was not fully successful. So the prosecutor argued she knew her attacker. She was not fleeing away from him that Bob and Sylvia argued on the beach. He tried to strangle her partially so she couldn't make a sound and that she got away. She went into the lake to try to swim away and escape. He followed her. He hit her with the rock. He moved her body to the shore, ripped her clothes to make it look like she'd been assaulted, which also it's kind of funny because today we know how rare that kind of attack is. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of not just sexual assaults, but the vast majority of murders like this are are done by people who know you. He then, you know, goes to his friend's house and when he returned home, made a big point of being drunk and loud. So neighbors would wake up and hear him talk about how he had to look for his daughter. And the prosecutor would say 
in his closing statement, fear of exposure, fear that he would lose the object of his lust. That's what prompted the murder of this girl. But if he killed her, he would lose her also. So like lose, lose situation, dude. Yeah. But when you're, I mean, we do have to think about a couple of things. One is he, he legitimately was drunk. Not, not as an excuse. I'm not in any way saying that as an excuse, but I'm saying as something that was um, clouding how he was looking at the situation. Which was the bigger fear? Fear of losing her or fear of being caught? Because usually in these kinds of situations, the fear is being caught. That's true. Because if he's found out, he loses his marriage. He loses his standing in the community. He could, I don't know, he could lose his job. He could lose his life. I mean that not in like a death kind of way, but losing the life he's built up. Um, I think oftentimes in these kinds of crimes, crimes of passion, you're not thinking rationally. The jury deliberated for under four hours, and they found him guilty. Uh, And he was sentenced to death. Yeah, they didn't mess around then. So his brother, William Gaines, he showed more of an outward reaction than than Bob. Um, The newspapers talked about him sobbing and crumpling to the ground. He tried to appeal, was not successful. William... He was fully convinced he was innocent. He went as far as to appeal to the governor to try to intervene. Was not successful. Uh, and there's, there's kind of some bonkers stuff about how far William was going to try to prove that Bob was innocent. Apparently in 1927, he both accused a Portland man named John Pender of being the real perpetrator, as well as saying that the body found at Green Lake was not Sylvia's. What? I know. I kind of feel like you can't have it both ways. <laughs> no, that's too much weird stuff. Like, it's that too just much seems weird crazy. Stuff. Right? No, it's weird. So, um, John Pender, and, and you know, it's funny. I, I had not heard of him before he became a footnote in this, so I looked him up, and we may want to cover him in the future. It's kind of oh. interesting. He was convicted in 1913 of murdering a woman and her child and was sentenced to die. But after spending nine years in prison... A bunch of the evidence, 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 didn't hold up. So in 1920, he was released, but he was arrested again in 1927 for assaulting a a 15 year old girl. But 1927, that's after Sylvia's murder. Sure is. Sure. So William said, this is great. He said, I have four witnesses who will identify Pender as the man seen. I don't know why I'm making William sound like this. It just seemed necessary. It seems fun. Do it. Who will identify Pender as the man seen near the body on the night of the crime. I also have a number of photographs taken from the girl's effects, which prove that it was not Sylvia's body found there. I kind of, I'm, I'm leaning into that. This is how William Gaines sounds. So um, that's how like everybody sounded in what, like 1925. Oh, totally. And he maintained, Sylvia disappeared. It was not her body found in Green Lake. I'm not sure whose was then found, but apparently right. that's Sylvia's. I feel like if you're going to say it wasn't her, you need to <sighs> at least have a suggestion of who it might be. I, and I, why is it not her? I, I agree. I just, I honestly, I find this whole thing just sad. Because this is a guy who lost his niece, probably loved his niece lost her she died she was murdered she was murdered horribly and and his brother is accused of the crime so to me william gaines i was always struck that this is just a guy who's in such deep denial about let's face it what his brother probably did i i i feel for him i i think it's got to be so hard to be the family of someone convicted of a crime like this like i i think uh it's really easy to again to look at people and judge them 
if you woke up tomorrow and your father, your brother, your son, your husband was was suddenly being accused of awful, awful crimes, like you have my sympathies. That's that's a lot to wrap your head around. So I I, I actually feel legitimately bad for him. So n- none of this was successful either. Um, Bob was hanged in Walla Walla State Penitentiary. Oh, that's a famous one. Well, it, it, it's the, I do this as part of my murder tour. I have a whole little like history of the death penalty in Washington state. Walla Walla State Penitentiary is the only place in Washington state uh, that you could do executions. Yep. Legally, anyway. So on August 31st of 1928, he was hanged. Uh, reports say that he made the walk to the gallows unassisted, but he was shaking. His last words were apparently, get this over as quick as you can. I mean, I don't blame him. Yeah, neither do I. He said he was innocent up through the end. He would be the 25th of 78 executions Washington State would execute since we started keeping records in 1904. We, of course, abolished the death penalty here in 2018. Of those 78, fun side note, not a single one of those was a woman. I mean, not surprised. In the last letter he wrote to his brother, he wrote, I hate to hang for a crime which I am innocent of any knowledge of, but it looks like they're going to make me the goat. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm a horrible human being. Oh. Fun random fact he was given a funeral with full military honors. That seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Is that? So this, this brings us forth to today because, um, he was not alone in insisting he was innocent. I mean, obviously, yes, his brother, who was very adamant that Bob couldn't have done it. Um, his second wife, Elizabeth, insisted he was innocent. I have not seen any, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to see any other credible suspect. Um, and I have not seen one that I thought was legitimate. This is not one of those cases where I feel like the wrong person, personally, uh, I don't feel like the wrong person was apprehended. Um, we, we've, uh, there, there's been a couple, I mean, you can attest to this, Gabby, like there's been times I've been kind of surprised. I've done a deep dive on something and, and been sort of like, oh, oh, maybe, maybe this is not as clear cut as I thought. Lizzie Borden was one for me where I was sort of yeah. like, well, okay, now I'm having feelings and I never thought I'd have these feelings. What about, I mean, I granted like, I feel like I'm slightly skewed. I, I I really think he did it. I didn't find evidence to say that Bob was innocent. So I feel like that probably skewed some of my reporting of it. But Gabby, do you have thoughts? Do you have opinions? I mean, I don't think there's enough information. I feel like this is all based on hearsay of people saying that they saw him at a certain place he also had but, blood in his clothes. Did I mention that? He had blood in his clothes. So he did have, if he had blood on his clothes, that's kind of like some they serious could, evidence. They couldn't, test, they couldn't test the blood for, I mean, you know, it was 1926. But yeah, they, sure. they had found some blood in his clothes. I mean, who else's blood would that have been? I guess that that could have been another thing you could go down a rabbit hole on. But also, he just seems too connected. And there's too much motive like to... <gasps> be that involved with her and to have it be looked down upon by other people and by his wife. And like the fact that he knew that she was trying to maybe get away from him and he didn't like that. Like that's motive right there. Well, I also, I know this is a silly thing to get hung up on, but the staging of the crime gets me. You don't stage a crime like that. If it's a random attack, you don't. I'm sorry. If you're going to make it look like a sexual assault, there's going to be an actual sexual assault. Unless you're trying to divert attention from what actually happened. You know what else I just thought of? What? The quote. Someone hit my, oh. the bean in the head with the rock. That yeah. one. The, the, being, or the child being hit with the bean. Yeah. Yeah. Being hit on the bean. No. The hit on the bean with the rock. He said mm-hmm. a rock. I, yeah, but I, I'm, I mean... It's possible police had said, like, it it wasn't... That wasn't a verified quote of his? Well, no, that was a verified quote, but it's very possible the police said to him, you know, she was murdered and it looks like she was hit in the head with a rock. 
Okay, I was going to say it depends on, like, if they gave him any information before he said that or if he just came out and said that, like, the context in which that was said. We to me, it didn't to really know. Nothing I read indicated, like, people's response to that. The reason the officer brought that quote specifically up wasn't him offering information he shouldn't know. It was the fact that he was so drunk he was making nonsense up that it was hard to string together what he was saying but the officer didn't note that like nobody told him she was hitting the head with a rock it was just like right. he was so stinking drunk i really had a hard time following he was talking about her getting hit in the head and then he was talking about her cooking right it's kind of all over the place yeah but also a smidge of like honesty could be found within those Mm. blurred lines Um, sure sure so i don't know what what i thought of obviously not knowing full context was if he's saying she was hitting the head with a rock but he didn't know if it was a rock or not or wasn't supposed to have known that it was a rock then that could also indicate that he knew more about it than anybody else did at that point oh sure I feel like if that was the case, then the pro- the prosecution had no problem diving, like picking apart everything he said. I feel like the prosecution would have jumped on that if that was the case. Okay. Um, then that's the only reason that I was like, eh. But also, I think you have a very valid point in thinking that someone wouldn't stage the if scene. It, yeah. In that if it way. was an actual legitimate random attack, why stage it? Right. I mean, even even beyond, like, uh, if it was a random attack, a robbery, a mugging, who knows? Why stage it to look like a sexual assault? Also, how drunk was he to know to have to stage it? Like, I mean, t- to, to be fair, <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> One can do a lot of things while intoxicated. <laughs> I think it just depends on their level of a... I don't know. I'm going to choose not to comment since it'll incriminate me. Anyway. um, (laughs) So Kim actually murdered Sylvia. She went back in time. Well, not Sylvia. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, we would, I would love to hear though. I I would love to hear what our listeners think. Um, If you have opinions on whether or not the right person was apprehended in general, I would love to hear what you think on this case. So leave us a comment on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on I don't know. You could skywrite it, but uh, I can't guarantee I'll see it. That's uh, fair. So the area in which she was murdered is now known as Gaines Point. Most people don't realize it's called Gaines Point because a brutal murder happened there. Love that. This is not just a story of murder, though. Uh-oh. This is also a local ghost story. <gasps> yeah, I was, holding, I was holding on to that. Uh, because according to some locals... Sylvia has stuck around. The ghost of Sylvia Gaines is seen walking around Green Lake near the North Shore, right where she was murdered. Uh, Her spirit is sometimes seen hiding behind bushes and trees. Usually her face, though, no body, just a disembodied face. Usually after dusk, but sometimes in broad daylight. There's wow, report, really? Yeah, there's reports, too, that she's peeking through the trees and bushes. That's not creepy at all. The sounds of her sobbing is oh, also sad. reported. There have been um, some EVPs caught at the spot the body was found. You are welcome to look these up. I don't know a nice way to say this. I'm not a nice person. Uh, none of them, to me... I, I, okay, um... You can find EVPs of her supposedly of Sylvia. Uh, I we are not sharing any here, partially because I feel fairly strongly about um, EVPs. I can't kind of verify EVPs. I can't put my weight behind to say I know how this was recorded. Uh, the ones I've seen posted have not been ones where I, I have felt were verifiable there that's me being nice but uh, it's but also like an outdoor space it's right? an outdoor so space like, yeah it's not a controlled environment i yes th- thank you okay see this is how i cannot be an asshole yeah the environment's not controlled i don't know anything about how they've caught these evps and i 
am happy to listen to ones and talk to somebody who's caught in EVP about how they went about it. But I am I am a skeptic when it comes to gathering of evidence. 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 Gabby saw my face. She knew that one was coming. Um, so there are those who think that part of the reason her spirit has stuck around is that it's looking for justice, that her father was not the person who killed her. So she's looking for her true murderer. According to Kook Teflon, forgive me if I'm saying that incorrectly, I, I, I am unfamiliar with them outside of some articles I read on the internet. They are a local high priestess, healer, and queer artist. Um, I read this article in The Stranger that quoted them. Uh, they have done some investigations at Green Lake. She, uh, she specifically, she's led ghost tours at Pike Place for five years. Um, so apparently she was doing an investigation at Green Lake and her lead medium was possessed. And this is a quote from this stranger article I read, and you can find a full list of sources on our website. Her face and half her throat immediately turned dark purple. Her voice wasn't hers. We all knew how to deal with it, but if we were amateurs or inexperienced, it could have gone down a very dangerous road. So there have been reports like that. People who have had very extreme circumstances. I feel like that's just someone who just ate something wrong. I, I have not, again, all of this was taken strictly from a stranger article. So I've not spoken to, to anyone involved with the investigation. It, it was reported in, in, in the stranger, which is a local newspaper for those of you who are not local to Seattle. Um, I love the stranger. Stranger's great. I, I, I don't know. Enough people reported strange things happening that sure. I will say though, a, a young woman named Doris Klukhoha. Ooh, what a good name. Wins best name of the week. She was also found dead not too far from the spot that Sylvia was also found dead. Uh, she was found in the water. She, she had committed suicide. This was in the 1930s. It was July of 1930. So who is to say that the ghost we're seeing there is Sylvia? Could it be Doris? Like, no one talks about Doris, but this is one of my beefs with a lot of investigations. Like, the the most notorious case is given credit for a haunting, but without the evidence, evidence, evidence. yes, to, to necessarily back it up. So, is there a haunting at Green Lake? There is certainly many, many reports of this apparition. Have there been other people who have died around there? Yes. Do we know for sure it's Sylvia? No. And I am someone who is all about doing that due diligence. So, you know, Gabby, maybe we have a, an investigation in our future. Maybe we have a little uh, uh, live thing we should do in our future at, at Green Lake. That's a great idea. We should have a picnic at Green Lake at Gaines at Point. At Gaines Point. Well, and the nice thing is in these COVID times, Gaines Point, Green Lake is outdoors. So we we could do a whole thing there and, and be safe uh, and mm-hmm. responsible. But... That is the story of Sylvia Gaines. Interesting. I actually have never, I mean, I know I'm not from here, not a local. I mean, I've been for the last four years, but I haven't heard about that one. And I love Green Lake. Green Lake's like my truly, I just go there for the dogs, guys. Like (laughs) I truly go there to just oogle over people's dogs and pet them. It's beautiful there though. Like I, I knew what's funny is, so I knew about Gaines Point. I knew what Gaines Point was. Um, I did not know the history of it. I first started, I talked about this case for, I taught a dark history of Seattle class uh, back in, I don't know, 2019, I think is when I, when I taught that, um, pre-COVID. And I, I talked about Sylvia Gaines for the first time then. And that was the first time when I was doing research for that class, that was the first time that I learned the history of Gaines Point. I was looking specifically at Green Lake for some of their hauntings, and and that came up. I, I I mean I have a soft spot for Pacific Northwest murders and ghosts and cryptids and anything. Like I I grew up here. I yeah I I have a soft spot. I think we have some really exceptionally interesting cases and 
phenomena. So whenever I'm given an opportunity to cover it, I, I, I sneak it in. So thank you all for bearing with me because I know how often I feel like I, I dive into something Pacific Northwestern. Oh, no, that's good. I love it. But that, yeah, that's Sylvia Gaines. So, uh, let us know what you think about that case. And, and we'll let you know when we go to Gaines Point. Yeah, hey. again, I, I like I like the thought of maybe doing a quick, a little live thing when we do that. That might be kind of fun. We should we, do it. Talking about maybe doing some YouTube stuff, so you'll also yeah. might see some of that. Anyway, Gabby, what does that bring us to? Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim... What you watching? A number of things, actually. I have I have a bunch of stuff for Creepy Critics Corner this week. Um, I responsibly went to the movies. So proud of you. Responsibly, I I live right off downtown Seattle. Uh, the local AMC is opened. I tracked. I went to an afternoon showing of this. I tracked how many people were in the theater. There was like six of us in the whole theater. We were wearing masks. It was fine. It was beautiful. I went and saw Kong versus Godzilla. And my God, that was a movie to see in movie theaters. I'm sure some of you watched on HBO Max. Watching it in the movie theaters made a difference for me. I loved it. It's silly, but I loved it. I love Godzilla. I love Godzilla. King Kong. I had feelings. Y'all, I hate having feelings and I had feelings. I thought it was so much fun. Uh, I know it's available on HBO Max. If you were able to see it on a big screen, it legitimately makes a difference. Nice. Uh, I also recently watched, I watched two other movies. I watched a movie called Slacks on Shudder. It's about a pair of killer jeans. Oh my God, I love the name of it. It's, and it's S-L-A-X-X. <laughs> oh my God, that's even better. No, it was a fun movie. Um, it's not perfect. It's kind of trying to have a a message behind it. It doesn't fully succeed in that, but it is a movie about a killer pair of jeans. So if for no other reason than that, you should watch it. It's delightful. Killer pair of jeans, meaning it's not just that they look good on you, but they actually kill people. They literally kill you. Wow. Yeah. That's just what happens after quarantine when you put on a pair of jeans. It's happened to me. We are currently ghosts we are, wearing we are. jeans. Yes, we are. Um, I watched a movie called Hunter Hunter. It's streaming on Hulu. It's uh, a movie about a small family. It's a, a man, his wife, and his his young daughter who are living in the woods and who are survivalists. And a, a wolf starts messing with their traps, so he kind of tries to to catch the wolf or kill the wolf. Uh, I was not ready for this film. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's indie. It's the acting is very good. There's some really lovely cinematography. It's a rough watch. You need to know that going into it. It is not a movie. You're going to be like, this was so happy. I loved it. No, it's a rough watch emotionally. There's some animal deaths. I have oh, a hard no. time with them. Yeah, no, I really have a hard time with animal deaths, but uh, it, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was well done. The acting was really good. It has some, like, just brutal moments. And before I give this over to Gabby, I know I've had a lot of things this evening. Uh, I am part of a new podcast. I'm involved in a podcast called A Night in Question. And uh, you can find more information about it on on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We have a a, a newsletter. We we are going to by the time this episode is released, our first episode, our first two episodes will be out. So you can look for the podcast "A Night in Question" on iTunes, anywhere you can find um, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. But it's a a true crime podcast, a horror podcast. Uh, if you like our podcast, you'll probably like it. So go check it out. Nice. Gabby, how about you? I've, I've just like, you know, commandeered. I've just threw a bunch of things at people. What, what have you been watching, viewing, listening I'll to, throw, reading? I'll uh, totally opposite things nice. at you as, as I do. Um, I have gone down the rabbit hole that is Discovery Plus. Um, I definitely decided to pay for it and it has not let me down. I have binged all the 90 day things, 
but I will not tell you about those because it's not worth your time um, unless you like, you know, trash TV. But I did start watching House Hunters Comedians on Couches. I love I love the contrast in stuff and I appreciate that we have differing things to be offering to our audience. <laughs> Well, I just like comedy, man. Like, I'm a big comedy person. And so I have a handful of favorite comedians. And uh, on the Comedians on Couches, it's probably old. I think it came out, like, in the beginning of the pandemic. But obviously because I just got Discovery Plus, now I'm just watching it. But John Mulaney's on it on two different episodes. And I freaking love John Mulaney. And it's so funny. At one point, someone's like... I love the character of this house. And John Mulaney's like, character means it's got crowd molding and a dead body in the basement. (laughs) It's just like (laughs) the best humor and it's just very dark and it's them just like shit talking people. So it's, it's a good time. Um, if you like house hunters, but also like to make fun of it and like the people that are on it, because everyone always has opposite opinions and then their realtors just look like they want to die. So it's just a a really entertaining space. So I also started watching a show called the wedding coach, because if you haven't heard, I'm getting married this year. So I like watching. I know. I I mean, I'm fingers crossed. I think it's happening, but uh, the wedding coach is a show about, people that are getting married, but the person who comes in and is a coach is actually a comedian named Jamie Lee. And she has been married before, but also just kind of walks people through the high peak stress of like the week before the wedding and tries to just help out a bit. But she also brings in her comedian friends. Um, So like John Gabris is in it and he's very funny. Uh, I've seen a couple of his podcasts. There's a lot of different uh, comedians in the LA comedy scene, like Nicole Byers in one of them with Betsy Sodaro and Marcy Jarrow. Why Jero won't and, you date me? Why yeah, like all those people are me? friends in real life. <laughs> and then they're also comedians. And so a bunch of them are actually on this show. And it's funny, but it's also heartwarming. Um, so, you know, love a good reality, heartwarming, but funny show type of show. So that's basically what I've been watching. Uh, but, you know, I do love a good period piece. And so when I want to take myself out of reality, I watch a show called Poldark, which Mm. is on Amazon Prime. And it's based on a book series. And there's, I think, five or six seasons of it. So since I finished Outlander, I've been looking for something else. So I've grasped onto this, but it's actually very well written. And it's it's not as a steamy, I'll say, as uh, Outlander. It's done by PBS, so they have to keep it pretty Um, mellow when it comes to the steaminess. But the writing is great. There's some stuff on PBS. There's a lot of boobs on PBS. There's no boobs in this one. Not not uh, that I've seen so far. There's been boobs on B. I remember growing up watching a movie. I was like Mall Flanders or something. And I was a teenager and I was all about it because there was boobs. I mean, you taught me something new today, Kim. I that had no idea. That there's boobs. Boobs on PBS. Oh, there's so many. Because British people don't care about boobs. They love boobs. Boobs for everyone. Everyone gets a boob. But having said that, thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out all of our references, show notes, where we get our information from, a list of all of our episodes, head on over to ghoulishtendencies.com. That's our main website. You can find all of our social medias there. That includes our Facebook page, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We also have Instagram, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We also have our Patreon, which is on there. Patreon is a great place to show us that you want to support a podcast that you appreciate and then we'll appreciate you back. So thank you for that. Um, You can donate whatever you feel comfortable donating and get some extra add-ons. So we've got some fun bloopers. Promise (laughs) you they're going to be great after this episode. I was going to say y'all, y'all who are not patrons don't understand how many bloopers there were this episode and how epic a few of them were. So if you're not a patron, now is the time. Um, But anywho, that's our Patreon. We also have Twitter. It is ghoulish pod. And one way that you can also support us that's really, you know, it's free, it's easy, you don't have to spend any money, uh, is head on over to Apple Podcasts and just give us a rating and a review and a subscribe. That really helps us Mm -hmm. get our demographic straight. It helps people find us and just really helps us out. So we appreciate you. It makes Monday. I get so happy when I see it because... 
don't know. It's nice. Gabby will send me nice. stuff like nice things people say, and I'm I get I get teary eyed, and I have a cold dead heart. So I mean, know. what Kim is ultimately saying is that we are words of affirmation people. We are. So we in case it. you're curious, just tell us something nice, and we'll love you forever. So having said that, thank you for listening, and stay. stay.